harmonic device, you'll remember, of course, my very earnest mother can just sit under a napkin, bless her mom. Actually, ice is pretty good shield if you've got enough of it. And Europa has um, would have a, a pretty thick ice shell over any liquid ocean that's down there. So if you're looking for life in Europa's ocean, it would not have a problem with the radiation environment from Jupiter. They would have other problems. <laughs> okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We are going to be talking about the solar system with Emily Lakdawalla a little bit later. And the um, exploration of? And the exploration of Not by Graham. Uh, but first, as always, Graham, I always pictured you with more hair, Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, buddy? I was hoping for the short one. Like, oh, I pictured you a little taller. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, it's like, wait, what does that mean? I pictured you with more hair. <laughs> I was like, what? That's the worst thing to say to me right now. <laughs> Thanks, man. And you know what though? I hear that it's my girlfriend said it's actually growing in the back. It's growing in more in the back. It doesn't grow in. It is. It's it is. Are you it's getting better. Some? Kinda. Well, Not really for it though. Just better diet. I've got some hair pills at Kyle's. I left forgot them there. And a bunch of longevity supplements and stuff like that. It's pretty. I should show you. I should take a pic of my little. And then fucking Paul just comes up and calls you on it. Eh? I pictured you with more hair. What a dick thing to say. You're not even that bald. No. That's the thing. Is you got quite a bit of hair, really. <laughs> uh, I think maybe because he's pictured me like a hippie or something uh, like that. He pictured you like, long like, hair, long pictured hair, like a stoned hippie. It's like Probably, everyone who listens every, to the show. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he listens to the show. Yeah, I'm not a Canadian stoner. Just a Canadian. Balder. A, just a balding Canadian. Yeah. So we got Emily Lakdawalla coming up, and it's a great episode on... Oh, the space exploration and actually specifically in our, in our solar system, there's tons of shit going on there. It's been an amazing couple of years and she has a wealth of information. She gets right into all the, all the nitty gritties about what's going on. There's like seven of our, of our, as in human spaceships on Mars right now or rovers, rovers or whatever you call them. And then there's a lot, there's lots of shit going on. So it's a great chat with Emily. She's a fast talker and she's full of information. So keep up. Try and keep up. Yeah. I think they'll be fine. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good. You're you're this kind of inspired you, didn't it, a little bit to, to get into more like get get your telescope going and like get into our solar I system a bit my, more or what? My telescope was involved in my latest dump run. Oh, did you? <laughs> really? It was just too fucked up. I got it for free off Kijiji a few years ago and it's just been patched so many times and like just it won't stay it's real hard to focus and find things when you get there it's hard to focus it and it's hard to keep it there and so i just took it to the dump and i'm just gonna uh get a new one sometime yeah next month i'll invest in uh take some of my paycheck invest in a decent one did you learn a lot i don't know I'm tempted, I'm tempted to save up and grab you know like you can go i could i could afford now to go out and buy one for a few hundred bucks but i'm tempted to maybe like save up and 
grab one for because you get those ones for like a thousand bucks or twelve hundred bucks, and you can like link your smartphone to them and they'll as a hotspot and just say like show me Saturn. Like you know you don't you're not fucking changing lenses or putting in these. Oh, I forget the name of that other lens that makes it three times the Barlow lens or whatever. Like trying to do all that and keep it focused and the moon's fucking moving and we're moving. It's like by the time you get it focused, you go back to the moon and you got now you're readjusting because <laughs> the moon has now moved. So they have automated ones now? That you they can have just... automated ones. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Why don't you just skip it and get a n- nice set of night vision goggles so we can also like UFO hunt at the same time? Because night vision goggles aren't going to help me see Jupiter. No, but still... What do you mean? Well, it'd be more interactive. No, it won't. And I, I'll bet you it will. What is he, we're going to bet now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. take that bet. <laughs> okay. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to trying that out when you get it going. Yeah. I'm what? going to the, uh, I need to go to the, down in the observatory for the Milky, Milky Way nights or whatever. What is this? That goes all summer. From like, you can go down there, it's like every second weekend or something like that. Every second Saturday, you can go down there from 10 till 2. Yeah. Really? Just, huh. It's like 10 bucks a head. You can oh, go cool. there and just stroll around and go through the telescopes, go outside. Skywatch? Skywatch, yeah. Cool. Did you ask those guys over? Oh, you didn't go to, You didn't go last time, did you? No, fucking no, Jim Shitty down, truck whatever. broke okay. down. <laughs> And then, uh, then the next thing I planned, so that was the one thing I planned to do. And then I planned to go out to, uh, the, uh, nitro circus. That was the next thing I, I planned to do. Cause I don't do a whole lot. Right. So I had plans to go to that nitro circus and it got canceled both days. Nice. Cause the rain. Yeah. It was on for two days, was it? Well, it I got postponed it one the one day oh. to the next day. And then canceled. And then canceled. Wow. Okay. So I was going to go, I was thinking about going to that as well, but. They didn't officially cancel it to like nine thirty at night. It was supposed to start at six, so they let everyone sit out there in the rain and drink <gasps> beer, and kept telling them it might go on. Oh, they postponed it an hour. What? And postponed. You it had to another. go to it, and then it got canceled. Yeah. Well, me and fucking Kyle got wise right away. We were in line to get a. Uh, got what right away? Wise. Why? Oh. Yeah, we were in line to get a burger because we showed up a couple minutes late, and we had four. Of course, we had four late. tickets, and two guys had already canceled. So it was just me and him. We were waiting in line to get a beer and a burger, and it started raining. And all these people like were running in. The people that had like, I don't know, it'd be the equivalent of being on the like floor seats for a concert. That they were actually outside, not under cover. So they all came charging in, and then they came over the loudspeaker and said it was going to be postponed for an hour or whatever. And then Kyle like looked at it. We were looked at the weather like, forecast, Give us two beers and it's like you know what. No, the line was moving real slow, and we were, it was frustrating. And then we looked at the forecast, and it was like, rain, 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 rain. So we were like, fuck it. This fucking thing is not going to happen. So we just left to go get out for dinner. We're like, we'll just go to a nice restaurant for dinner. So then on the way out, I had the two other tickets. There was a scalper trying, no. to, trying to sell tickets. And I was like, hey, do you want to buy some tickets? And he's like, uh, and he's like, what do you want for them? I was like, 80 bucks. He's like, I'll give you 50. He's like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> So we go, that, sold, that you, paid for my dinner at Lounge Burger, <laughs> and then it got postponed and then canceled. So then I got the tickets from Ian, but now because it was canceled, they just refund the money to his credit card. <laughs> so they the scalper's just owe 50 bucks. That'll learn him. Yeah. That'll teach him to scalp tickets. 
But yeah, the communication was pretty terrible. Like we left right away because we didn't really give a fuck, right? Yeah. There was people that had driven from all over fucking Alberta, Southern F-bomb Alberta. Warning. How do I? Can I give you an no, F-bomb? No, you can't. Or, no? You can't. If you just start saying no. too many in a row. So <laughs> now I'm losing my fucking train of thought. So people came from all over Southern Alberta, this fucker, and they just sold beer in the rain and kept saying it might go on till for two and a half hours or three hours, and they canceled it. A lot of people were pretty upset. Really? I, from well. I, I was following it on Twitter just because we had already decided by 10 after 6, we were like, we're out. <laughs> and then when I was just following the conversation on Twitter, Giggling just, just to, to make sure, just to see if I had made a good decision. Did you go to the casino or something? No, home? we just went for dinner really? and I went home. I had other nice. shit to do. Yeah, I didn't get. I didn't want to get into the drinks, so I just. Yeah. I only had one beer and went home. Nice. So yeah, that's what happened there. That was my weekend, my long weekend. What you gonna say something? No. Nope. <laughs> I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities. All over the web And Darren is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet Do you have a synchro? I have a stinkro Oh, I like it I don't have a <laughs> No, it's not, it's not a stinkro It's just a note from a listener TB4476 Sends in a note. Hi, Graham. I was reading the last Canadian tire flyer while taking a dump and saw this listing for squatty potties. Is that a synchronicity, a stinchronicity, or has Gramerica become that influential? He's talking about, because we talked about squatty potties a little while ago there, Darren. Darren uh, was raving about his, and actually we're going to get the squatty potty company on, but I don't think they want to come on the show. No. We're too low brow for them, maybe? too low brow, yet we get... You know, thank God Emily Lakdawalla comes on from the Planetary Organization and Planetary Society, and we can't even get the Squatty Potty people on. No. I can't say I blame them. <clears throat> I still need to buy mine, but I'm glad they're at Canadian Tire now. I mean, we can, are they? Does he say how much they are? Uh, tw- they're like 20, save 20% right now, twenty three ninety nine. Twenty three ninety nine. Oh, that's, that's cheaper deal. than I got mine on Amazon. Yep. I think I paid 30 I'll have to do that one of these go. days. You could be squatting and potting. We should get a Grimerica sticker for it. That's not bad. You'd be shitting all over Grimerica. Shitting on Grimerica. Better get in line. So I'm not, I, I can't rate that. No, it's not, it's not rate. It's not for rating. No. So we got a long shot synchro here from Garrett Dunlap. He's a old, uh, Related to from, you? Yeah, he's from the clan way back when. The clan? Like yeah. the fucking KKK? No, clan. When clan you, Dunlop. Like okay, the Scottish well, clan, you say right? the clan? That's what people are meeting. No, it means okay. Scottish clan. People don't think of that right away. I think that they do. No. It's like, okay. you know, this is going let's back see, to... Let's see what happens if I tweet out that, hey, Graham's uncle's in the clan. Well, it has to be... In I said context? his name. Yeah, okay. the context is important You said this. Dunlop. Yes, I know, but I've been researching my our uh, coat of arms for Dunlop, Insignia. right? Yeah, Dunlop, it, it derives from the same thing, right? Yes. Dunlop and Dunlop come from the same same clan. Yeah, kind of like that. And my mom made me a little, 
window box with uh, a, my tartan pattern and the tartan the logo and then a little some some gold uh nougats yeah some gold symbols that are like my name's meanings and stuff like that it's pretty cool and it's pronounced dunlop his is mine's dunlop right but oh, we yeah. come from the same the same source apparently oh yeah okay. somewhere along the line we split the off clan the clan so he says, hey, Graham, I think I had a bit of a synchro, but I'll let you decide. I've been listening to the show for a couple months now, started with the first 30 casts, then skipped to the end, and now I'm caught up. Anyway, my girlfriend is out of town on a business trip, so as usual, I rent a couple of obscure movies from Redbox. Is that porn? No. Okay. No, it's a little video box and Safeway or whatever, uh, I think. Okay, yeah. In keeping with my recent trips down many rabbit holes, I rented... Two fly-under-the-radar movies titled Synchronicity and Regression. After finishing Synchronicity first and about 10 minutes into Regression, my girlfriend tags me in a post on Instagram. It says the houses of the North American Wizarding, Wizarding School in the Harry Potter universe had been leaked. Naturally, being a fan, I looked them up right away. All four names of the houses were taken from American folklore, mostly Native American but all of which have been talked about on various shows I've listened to recently as visitors to ancient races. In the middle of reading the article, the app fails and cuts off my reading. So I look up to the TV screen and in the movie Regression, in this very scene, is an actor who portrayed a beloved character in the Harry Potter movies. All that after just finishing the Synchronicity film. My girlfriend happens to know nothing about the podcast I listen to, had not read the same article I had, and I even had to explain to her what a synchronicity was. I don't know if this is anything, but it was enough for me to write an email. Hope you at least find it a little entertaining. Thanks for your time. Mm, 6.5. That's a pretty good rating. Thanks, Darren. Could be worse. Yeah. Could be better. Yeah. But it could be worse. Gets extra points for being the clan. That's right. Darren and Graham are going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Oh, I got a good one here. Appropriate to this episode, kind of. Okay, okay, okay. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. This is the quote. As a member of the House Committee on Science and Astronautics, I, of course, have had contact with high Air Force officers and have had an opportunity to hear their comments on and off the record on the subject of unidentified flying objects. Despite being confronted with seemingly unimpeachable evidence that such phenomena exist, these officers give little credence to the many reports on the matter. When pressed on specific details, the experts refuse to answer on grounds that they are involved in the nation's security and cannot be discussed publicly. I will continue to seek a definite answer to this most important question. That was from Congressman Joseph E. Carth, August 24th, 1960. Hmm. It's deemed appropriate. Yeah, I see. I like it. Congressman. Thank you, Mr. Congressman. He's still a congressman? I dead. Yeah. Wouldn't Deceased. Be. He could be. No term limits. <clears throat> I think there is, isn't there? Two? No. no. 
No. Oh, yeah, you're right. So I've got one that's not so appropriate here, but it's um, it's a trip report. But it's pretty cool. Ooh, jingle crazy this week, eh? Yeah. I don't have a trip report jingle. I just asked you if you had any. Where's that? Right, American Trip Report. Psychedelics are catalysts of consciousness. That one? Yeah, that's the one. So not that we're advocating the use of any drugs whatsoever, but if people people want to, then we will listen. Speak people for yourself. People have sovereignty over their own consciousness, we believe. But yeah, anyways, it's, uh, you know, we're we not... We uh, keep you, you, you. You're not we. So this is uh, from an anonymous listener. So if I say the name at the end of this email, Fuck Darren, that. Gotta, I am not fucking no. Just, just, just listening to no. Edit if again. I say the name, just blurt it out. Like just okay. you know, beep it as we're doing it here. But <clears throat> exactly. So hey guys, I thought I'd share a memorable DMT experience. Can I use that? It's a bit long, sure. So don't feel obligated to read it if you don't want to. But I am because it's pretty cool. Also, don't mention my name da-da-da, for obvious reasons. I have some more strange tales that I might relate at some point. So I, ex- I enjoy experimenting with the deems in settings and ways to see how it affects my perception at that given time and place. This experience, I decided to try breaking through while playing the video game Destiny on a PS4. I was playing the PvP online, what the game calls The Crucible, and while it was matchmaking me with other people to play a match, I started taking the tokes. I sucked down the third hit just as the map was loading and the match was starting. To be clear, for anyone who knows about the game, it was a team death match or a clash on the map Exodus Blue. This is important because when you play these kinds of games so much, you get a very good memory of the map's area, like where things are and where they are supposed to, what they are supposed to look like. Also, anyone who's seen the game's graphics can recognize it's a very distinctive graphic and art style. As the match started and the deem started to ramp up in my brain, things go wild. At first, I noticed my character's gun inverted colors and became super glossy, like it was covered in slime. Wow, neat, I thought. I played for another 30 seconds or so. Next... Every part of the game morphed into a very retro Doom-style shooter. Every aspect of the graphics, all the textures and skins became super sharply angular, grainy, and primitive, like looking at a game from the early Nintendo 64 area. Or era. Era. Era, yeah. Sorry. I was blown away that DMT could so drastically change this in every way. No part was left out. The television screen sort of became my entire vision, and oddly... Everything sped up extremely fast, maybe 30 times its usual speed. It was a bizarre thing. Everyone is moving hyper fast. And while working like Destiny should, definitely looked completely different. I became engrossed. I briefly became engrossed in this. How awesome. I'm having a great time. My gameplay sucked, but I didn't care. Spawn, run, die. Spawn, run, die. Spawn, run, die. Over and over. Until at one point I spawned, standing there, and something seemed to point out to me, hey, aren't you having a great time? 
See those other players? They're controlled by other people too. Everyone playing a game, doing what they're supposed to, running and trying to accomplish their tasks. This is reality. This is you. This is them. This is your world, your reality, like a video game. Something higher is your player. You are a created avatar of this, playing a game called life. You are running around accomplishing your goals, heedless of anything higher. You are just doing what you are supposed to. It hit me like a shell shock. I sat in my chair, open mouth, gaping at the television. This crazy reskinned game running at hyper speed. My character just standing in his spawn place. Other players on my team spawned around me and ran off to do their business and get killed over and over. Enemy players ran up to me, and I saw them look at me for a split second before killing me, almost saying, why aren't you playing the game? I dropped the controller and just stared. Then the match ended, and we received our rewards and started again. Some of us were allies, some enemies, but at the end, it didn't matter anymore. And the next match could have enemies as allies now. How fitting. And all of this is what is generally about 10 minutes. I turned off the game, went out of my deck, and stared at the night sky for a while. Thanks for hearing me out. Nice one. Fits in with your little computer simulation theory, Darren. Does it? Yeah, we're just you're just an avatar, and somebody's just controlling you up there. Is that we're in a video game right now, just doing our stuff? It'd be a pretty boring video game sometimes. <laughs> yeah, maybe not all the time, but sometimes it's probably exciting. But when I'm at work, it's probably much fun. That's true. But I don't think he means in the video game sense. I think he meant more as like consciousness itself as a controller. No. No? No. Not non-local consciousness? No. One of the differences, the, the guy in the game isn't uh, self-aware. Or is he? No, that's the thing. He was becoming self-aware, right? But nobody else was. Everybody's just going through their life playing the game. Hmm. Interesting. I'm surprised he was able to keep it up for the entire match. Yeah. Because some people we talked to said they weren't even here. Funct able to function, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Send us more. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Don't game on DMT. Did you say his name? Nope. Oh, I don't think I did. Oh, boy. No. Nope. Say it now. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got our comic in, too. Have we talked about that already? Oh, right. Yes, we have to talk about it. Go ahead. It's awesome. I'm going to grab it. Oh, yeah? Okay. Keep talking. So, yeah, we have this uh, no agenda meetup. Darren and I are both going to go, or so far, Darren's still going. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, people listen to the no agenda show. There's a bunch of us getting together in Red Deer. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It's at the 111 this Saturday, the 28th, from 3 to 6, I believe. And, uh, yeah, we're going to meet some other people that listen to no agenda and have some great conversation. Have some yeah. lunch or something, probably. Dinner. Dinner. That'd be dinner. Dinner, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice quality comic. Yeah, this is from Napoleon Doom, one of our artists, who's actually going to, I think he's going to be helping us um, manage the episode over, art every he's week. Taking over creative control of the art. Yeah. But he uh, he's done a comic book here. And actually, if you purchase the comic book, it's. Um, supports it, the show. It supports the show, yeah. And it's all the uh, web comics he's been posting over at the site. And, uh, yeah, it's really high quality. There's all sorts of little grammaric Easter eggs in there. 
I'm a welder. Graham's Ray from Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thanks, yeah, Napoleon. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we are going to be expanding our episode art out in the next, uh, as we go into year three. Year three coming up, yeah, at the end of this month. So if people want to contribute to episode art, um, they can get a hold of Napoleon. I'll put a link in the show notes as well to him. Would that be and we're not sure how it'll actually happen. We're starting year four now? Yeah, we're starting year four, yeah. Crazy. So for year four, we're going to open up the episode because we have quite a bit of people sending art now. So we're going to basically try and keep some sort of list someplace, probably on back backstage. <laughs> Um, back page, not back page. Not back page. Well, we might get it there. Back we'll page see. slash <laughs> We don't want to be there. Um, but we'll post a list on there and we'll just kind of open it up that anyone can, uh, we're going to give Napoleon an email address. It'll probably be nap at grammarica.com. Yeah. And anyone can send in art. He will be the, uh, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he'll, either way, he's just going to send me whichever art is the winner for that week. Yeah. And I will uh, slap it on. So, yeah, it's going to be, uh, I guess we kind of could call it the no agenda style. I wonder, so if we're going to do that, we should probably also, maybe we'll change the name of the backstage and we could start posting all the art up there. Well, I do have to update like the backstage. I somewhere we should post all the art like no agenda does. So you can go there and see all the art. Yeah, know? but that might be on a separate separate platform it's or something It's a separate like that. URL. Because I want to use the backstage as well to to show people who's coming up on the lot so we can get listener questions in. So should we just get a, maybe we should just get com or something. Maybe. I don't know how we'll do that. But anyways, we'll, we'll figure all that out, but we just want to give everybody a heads up. And speaking of that, this is a listener-supported show, like fully. There's no ads, no no portals, no sponsorship. Yeah, for two more shows, you'll have this show and next show, you'll have to hear us talk about this upgrade thing. Yeah. Um, these are the last two. I see a lot of people have been stepping up and grabbing some tickets since our last show. And it's for a new recording computer yeah. in the studio. Yeah, so we are going to do the draw. We've decided we're going to do the draw uh, live. I think actually instead of YouTube, we might just use Periscope. I've had Gainsford pissing around with Periscope, and he's been letting me know. About how that works. So that's basically right through Twitter. Um, oh, is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll probably just do a thing. We'll do a th we'll do a little uh, video of the little process just so everyone sees it. We'll have that live stream so people who want to tune in. I don't know exactly when it'll be let yet, but we'll make sure we let you know. It'll be somewhere in the first half of June, I would assume. It'll right? be the first week of June. I assume it's going to be June. I don't know where the calendar is. So yeah. Anyways, we'll 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 pick the winner, and then well, we we got to figure out exactly how we're going to do. We might pick three or something right off the bat. Probably just in case. June seventh, because that's the Tuesday, right? We'll probably be in studio June seventh. Yeah. So we'll probably do it that day. James said he'd come over and do the filming, so we'll do a quick little film of us cutting them all up, putting them in the thing, drawing the name. Bingo, bango. Okay, good. So we got this week to listen, next week to listen to us talk about. Upgrade and then uh, we're done. How many tickets are left? Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. Like twenty, twenty or something. Twenty like or so. Okay, yeah. so we're, that's good. We're almost going to cover our costs then for the. Yeah, uh, for yeah, the we're pretty computer. well. That's good. Pretty well, pretty well, good to go. Of course, there's a little, couple extra little expenses like the iPad and stuff like that. But either way, we'll be getting our new computer. So this week, next week, 
last chance. Let's see if we can sell these last 20 tickets. And big, big shout out to the people who have stepped up and bought. Uh, there's people on here. There's people now that have bought nine tickets, six tickets, 12 tickets. Wow, really? Eh? Yeah. yeah. And, and thanks to the people who have also just given us monthly subscription amounts that really help for our fixed bills every month. Yeah. Huge shout out to our monthly subscribers. Those are the people that... Uh, that kind of keep the uh, keep the wheels turning. So that's uh, there's a bunch of different options there over at grandamerica.ca/support. So huge shout out to you guys who uh, yeah pay all the monthly bills. I think that's about it. Period. That's all you got. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So okay, guys, enjoy the chat with Emily. We'll see you in the outro. And we're also going to pop out one more bonus episode. It's going to come out probably on the 31st, and then we'll get back to a regular schedule for a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, a couple extra episodes for you in May. You guys can thank all the uh, people who bought tickets for Upgrade for those. Thanks. So with us tonight in the Grimerica show is Emily Lakdawalla. I'm super excited about this. She's a senior editor and planetary hey, that's evangelist. Two last names in a row you nailed. Are you like reaching out for phonetics? I, Are you getting these things phonetically? Come on, give me a break. So she's she's works for the Planetary Society and she also contributes to their weekly podcast. And she's I love this term. She's a planetary evangelist. So she kind of knows exactly what's going on in our solar system right now with all this exploration. And it really is like the golden age of exploration. Hey, Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, I, I've been listening to your podcast and it's, it seems to me like this is a super exciting time. The last couple of years of exploration in our solar system. We really are at the peak. There are so many robots out there exploring all these different planets and moons and asteroids and comets and dwarf planets. It's a really good time. There's a lot of science data coming back. Spacecraft are living a really long time, and uh, it's just really excellent. It's going to get a little less excellent in a couple of years as uh, these spacecraft start reaching the ends of their lives, and we're not launching them as fast. But uh, for right now, we can really enjoy it. And some of them are lasting longer than they expected, right? A lot of them are lasting longer than than they expected. In fact, that's that's the real big difference right now, I think, compared to a couple of decades ago. So you've got spacecraft like Mars Odyssey at Mars, which has been in orbit since 2002 and is still doing great science there. Got Cassini and wow. the Mars Exploration Rovers since 2004. 
Um, so there's a lot of spacecraft that have been lasting a long time. And really the, uh, the, ma- the biggest ones are, are the Voyagers, which are still actually doing science like a hundred times Earth's distance from the sun. And, you know, they launched in 1977. Wow. And, and so there's, there's upwards of 20-something uh, spacecraft out there, right? No? That's right. That's my count. That's the number of spacecraft that are away from uh, Earth. Uh, so it includes a couple lunar orbiters and then all these spacecraft. A lot of them are at Mars, but there's various other places they're at too. Wow. So what what's new for you? It seems like every week something is new, but what's the what's the latest thing going on right now in, in your industry? Well, there's a lot of new stuff going on. Let's see. We've got Curiosity has just drilled uh, 11th hole into Mars, digging up some uh, soil that they're going to put into their little analytical laboratory instruments on the rover on Mars. Um, got Opportunity Rover climbing a crater rim. We have uh, Cassini well, I recently. Opportunity did... was stuck. <laughs> opportunity. That's a. Oh, that's Opportunity Sister. Oh. Am I still here? Uh, yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, can you yeah. just repeat okay. that? Yep, I will. That's Opportunity Sister Spirit that got stuck uh, on Mars. There were two twin Mars exploration rovers. Opportunity oh. is still going strong. Spirit died several years ago, very sadly, but Opportunity is is still going in the 14th year of operations on Mars. Yeah, it was because oh. of some dust or something, wasn't it? It got stuck and then the dust got on. I remember watching a video and they like got it out and everyone's cheering and then it got stuck yeah. again. Yeah. No, the deal with Spirit died. is that Spirit had a bad leg. Spirit had a bad right front wheel that got uh, locked up. And so the rover was al- already having a hard time driving around. And then they got embedded in this really soft sand. And uh, they tried to get the rover out, but they just weren't able to do it before winter came. And they were at a bad tilt for their solar panels and too much dust. And it was just too many things all conspired to kill Spirit. But wow. our- Opportunity doesn't have a bad wheel like that and is uh, up on a crater rim where wind is constantly keeping the solar panels free of dust. And so they're still generating quite a lot of power and are really good to go for quite a while. I love how you guys talk about them like they're your kids or your... I bet you it is. I bet you it's like a pet, man. I bet you like when that thing died, there's people just bawling their eyes out. You know, it's more than that. When people talk about the spacecraft, particularly the rovers, which are kind of anthropomorphic, they, they don't just say it. Sometimes they say they call it she, uh, but most of the time they say we, as if that robot right, is the right. embodiment of all humans uh, representing us on Mars. So we drove 16 meters today. We deployed the arm and, and checked out uh, the surface with the alpha particle X-ray spectrometer. We did all these things, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, I like that because it does it does reflect the the contribution that all these different countries and cultures are making as well. Oh, absolutely, and it really is an international enterprise. I mean, a lot of these missions are NASA missions, but even the NASA missions have lots of contributions from foreign. Uh, countries built uh, science instruments, lots and lots of non-U.S. Uh, scientists participate. And then um, there are more and more missions out there that are from Europe and Japan. Uh, even India has an orbiter at Mars right now. China has a lander on the moon. Um, Japan has an orbiter at Venus. So it's really a very international enterprise. Well, the last remote control car I got lasted <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they build spacecraft a little differently. <laughs> So, oh man, there's so many questions. So, there's uh, there's a lot going on to to the outer planets as well. You've got stuff going on in Pluto and the moons. What about Europa? And Europa, like you guys have something coming up to Europa in a couple of years, which is fascinating. 
Yeah, you know, Outer Planets is something that I'm very passionate about because I think it was the Voyager missions that got me really excited about space exploration, seeing all those moons of Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Neptune for the first time in the in the 80s. Um, and there is currently one active Outer Planets mission, and that's Cassini, which is orbiting Saturn. Mm-hmm. And then there's New Horizons, which flew past Pluto and is on its way to... Um, a uh, a second, much smaller Kuiper Belt object. And they're sort of lumped in with outer planets, but it's uh, it's like a whole third zone of the solar system out there. You go beyond Neptune and you have this huge belt of uh, really fascinating worlds and New Horizons is the first mission to explore those. Um, and then there's nothing else going on in outer planets right now so that when Cassini dies, and Cassini is going to be dying in less than 500 days now, wow. we uh, yeah we won't have any other active outer planets missions. There are two currently under development. There's a um, European mission and um, an American mission to Jupiter um, that are being developed. And I'm sorry, actually, I did forget about one more outer planets mission. And I can't believe I forgot about it because <laughs> it's going into orbit in July. Uh, that one's called Juno. Um, it's an upcoming J- Jupiter orbiter, but that mission's not going to last very long. It right. will uh, it will last about a year and a half. It will end in 2018, and after that, we won't have any active outer planets missions. And then, it and just that's going to be a real sad into Jupiter. Well, no, uh, that one doesn't crash into Jupiter. The problem with Juno is that um, it's the first spacecraft that will have a polar orbit, where instead of orbiting. Um, far away from Jupiter in the same plane as the rings and moons and everything. It's got an orbit that that goes up and down over uh, and below Jupiter's poles. And because of the particular way that those kinds of orbits change over time, its orbit is going to take it into Jupiter's magnetic field, which is really bad news for spacecraft. Um, Jupiter has a powerful magnetic field. It just roasts electronics um, it has all these par- charged particles flying around, and it will kill the spacecraft um, in about a year and a half. But we'll get really cool science between now and then. Um, Cassini is going to crash into Saturn. Is Europa a June? Uh, That's a moon of Saturn, isn't it? A moon Europa? of Saturn? Uh, Europa is a moon of Jupiter. Oh. So can so- we have electronics on Europa? We can. Uh, the deal with the Europa mission is that it's uh, Europa is a little farther out from Jupiter than um, Juno. Um, Juno has to go much closer to Jupiter because of the particular kind of science it's doing. The Europa mission will be a little farther away and will be able to handle the radiation for quite a bit longer mm. than Juno. Huh. Wow. So yeah. if I went to Ju- to Europa, does it, does the atmosphere help too? Well, um, if you went to Europa, um, I think it would be pretty bad news in terms of the radiation environment. Jupiter is really, really bad eh? news. Yeah. It is, eh? So even Europa, yeah. like, so life on Europa would be irradiated or it'd have to deal with higher radiation or does the ice in the, in the oceans underneath, would that offer some protection? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Actually, ice is pretty good shield if you've got enough of it. And Europa has, um, would have a, a pretty thick ice shell over any liquid ocean that's down there. So if you're looking for life in Europa's ocean, it would not have a problem with the radiation environment from Jupiter. It would have other problems. <laughs> you think, yeah, that it would have its own set of problems. I guess we have our own set of problems too. Exactly. We have our own set of problems. <laughs> Life finds so, a so way. So can you, I guess, like, the, the, there's going to be some stupid questions tonight, Emily, for sure. So you're, you're talking to some people that aren't too involved in this. But can you can you not re, re, um, rejig one of these things to re-jig? go somewhere else? Like, can you change missions at all with these no. things? Once Even you're on I that mission. The that's, to that. 
Well, you know, some of it, them have been extended and changed. Like, yeah, but you need you only have so like, much fuel. It takes a lot of fuel to go from Mars over to oh, we'll just go to Venus and stop by Mercury and then come home. <laughs> Yeah, so the question is, uh, yeah, it's a question of fuel, and it's a question of how much fuel it takes to leave wherever you are and then arrive wherever you're going. So um, traditionally, there have been two main kinds of space missions. You either had flyby missions right. where you shoot past it, so you do some science on approach, you squeeze as much science as you can into the few hours around closest approach, and then mm -hmm. you do some on the way out. And then your course may take you in a direction where a small um, adjustment to your course could take you to a different place. So that's how with like a lot of the asteroid and comet missions, um, those flew past an asteroid and they were just in solar orbit and they had already flown past an asteroid and there are a fair number of asteroids in that region. And so they were able to retarget a second asteroid or a second comet. Yeah, that's kind but, of what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So and then there are other missions like, um, say, Galileo that was going to Jupiter. But if you're going to Jupiter, you have to pass by the asteroid belt. And so they managed to plan its course so that they passed by two asteroids on the way. So they did a flyby of two asteroids, and then they went into orbit at Jupiter. Once you go into orbit, it's really hard to leave, especially if you're orbiting something that's really big. Right, so right. once you're orbiting Jupiter or Saturn, you're kind of done. You're you're stuck at Jupiter or Saturn unless you have a lot of extra fuel to expend. We, on the other we hand, we couldn't if even break orbit. Like, could well, you even on the have? Fuel you have. Yeah, like even what it could could even the, say the standard space shuttle rockets would they be able to break the orbit of Jupiter? Well, it's not about how strong they are; it's about how much fuel you have, um, and so it's a question of how much fuel you've carried with you. And so I know that that there were ideas that like the Cassini Saturn orbiter could, in theory, have had an extended mission where they left Saturn, um, and so they brought a ton of fuel to Saturn because they needed to change their orbit a lot over time in order to study all of Saturn's rings and the planet and the moons and everything else. So if they had wanted to end the Saturn orbiting part of the mission early and go someplace else, they could have done that. But that would have been kind of a waste of having gone all the way to Saturn and have all this fuel to explore all these moons of Saturn. And so they decided to stay where they were. But wow. if you're if you're orbiting like an asteroid, which has a very small mass, it's it's much easier to leave. And if you have um, like the Dawn mission orbited Vesta, and then they left Vesta, and now they're orbiting Ceres. Hmm. How? What's it like controlling something to make it go from say Saturn to Saturn's moon? Like how long is it real time? Or I guess light speed is the factor. So like, how does that? How the fuck does that work? <laughs> well, when you're when you're controlling something at the moon, you can joystick it, but anything farther away than that, there has to be pretty autonomous. So you have to um, develop series of commands that you send to a spacecraft, and then the spacecraft autonomously does its thing, and you can track it and be in communication with it. But the spacecraft has to have a fair amount of autonomous capability to steer itself, to navigate itself from point to point. Oh, so the pilot's really more like a a guy and a, a programmer. Yep, it's a whole code. team of programmers. Yeah, so they um, they come up with a, a plan. You know, navigators figure out what the spacecraft needs to do, and they say, "Here's what the spacecraft needs to do," and that goes to a a programmer, a team of programmers that develops a sequence and checks the sequence and checks the sequence again and checks it a fourth time, and then they send that to the um, deep space network, which is the uh, the giant radio dishes that we use to communicate with our deep spacecraft and they relay, they radio the command up to the spacecraft and then the spacecraft checks it out 
If it's really, um, if it's a really big maneuver, often the spacecraft will load the sequence, then send it back to Earth and be like, for real, this is what you want me to do? And they'll say <laughs> yes. And then they, the robot goes ahead and does it. And wow. then that takes, what, like a half an hour, 15 minutes? Or what is it like? I think it's, isn't it 16 minutes from here to Jupiter for light? Depends. It depends on the um, on the time of year. So Earth and Jupiter both have big circular orbits and they move closer together and farther apart over time. Right. So it, it depends so on the time. that be 16 minutes just in Earth or Earth's orbit? It's uh, eight minutes between Earth and the sun, light time. Yeah, so, so if you, we were on the far side of the sun, be, we could have 16 minutes, just our orbit can fluctuate it by 16 minutes. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Wow. Maybe it was more like forty-five minutes. I'm trying to think of how. Yeah, how Gal. Yeah. What was it? Galileo. Somehow he used it light. It was light. That's how he figured out that. Whatever. Anyways, I can't remember. Yeah, so yeah he, Jupiter's about five times Earth's distance from the sun, roughly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, forty minutes. Yeah, good memory there, Darren. <laughs> so, so you guys are getting pretty close, even though a lot of these missions are are orbiting, uh, like flyby type stuff. You guys are able to get pretty close. Uh, Images now, right? I heard some, you know, you guys are within a few meters, zooming within a few meters uh, distance, right? Well, again, it depends on the target. You can get real close to um, something that doesn't have very much mass that you know really exactly where it is. Okay. So like... um, Like Ceres. Well, like, yeah, well, Ceres, they don't get all that close to because Ceres is actually a pretty big asteroid. So the closest they're ever going to get to Ceres is an altitude of, I want to say it's like 380 kilometers. Okay. Um, but you take the Rosetta mission, which is a European mission that's orbiting a comet right now, and they've gotten as close as 10 kilometers or less. Um, and they're actually going to bring their spacecraft into a landing on the comet later this year. That'll end the mission. Um, but they, the mission has to come to an end, so they're going to try to do it in as dramatic a fashion as they can and get the spacecraft closer and closer and closer to the comet, which wow. is going to be cool. Wow, yeah, that's great. And is, it, is that the same mission that was – or wasn't there one that landed on a comet already somewhere? Yeah, that's, so that's the mission that sent a little lander to touch down on the comet yeah. in uh, November so of that, 2014. that's autonomous or is that a that's joystick? That's all autonomous, yep. Come on. Wow, yeah. yeah. But even the rovers driving across Mars are autonomous. I mean, you develop a sequence, you send the robot, they only get instructions once a day in the morning. And you send up the sequence and the rover does everything it's been instructed to do and and then relays the the data back to Earth in the afternoon. And it's on Mars 100%. Some people think it's in Arizona. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. We've got photographs of the things on sitting on the surface of Mars taken by Mars orbiters. But if you already don't believe that the rover's on Mars, then you're not going to believe we have orbiters up there either. So I don't see how that argument's any good. You know what I wonder is how can we never ever get... I've never seen a good picture of the lander site. I I like going over the like Google... The moon moon You can go over like Google Mars and Google Moon and you can check out all this... Seems like you can zoom in pretty close and like see the orbit. They like see the, you can see the, uh, oh, the rover. You can see the rover, but I can't see the landing mod, the, the thing from the moon. Or maybe there is a picture and I just haven't seen it. But I remember I was looking last week. There are some really great pictures, actually. We is have there? a spacecraft up there called Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Yeah, right. And it's taken amazing photos of all the Apollo landing sites. You can see like these dark track marks left by the astronauts and the lunar rovers as they explored across everything. You can see 
the lander and that orbiter, it takes pictures at many different times of the lunar day. So you can see like the shadows lengthening over time and stuff like that. Nice. They're really cool pictures. Is that all yeah. public, uh, yep. public domain? Ooh, that'd be fun to go through too. Yeah. yeah search on LROC, L-R-O-C is okay. the name of the camera. Okay, and, cool. uh, all the Apollo landing sites, all the surveyor landing sites, and even some of the missing Russian landing sites. They've got the Lunakhod rover and the rover's tracks and everything. It's just the it's Russia, super cool. No Russians went to the moon, though, right? Just a rover? Uh, yeah, no astronauts, no cosmonauts, cosmonauts went to the moon. That we know but of. They had, um, they had autonomous uh, sample return missions, so they had landers that sent back samples. And then they had these rovers that were joysticked from Earth, and for a long time, they held the distance record for how far a, a rover had traveled on the surface of another world until Opportunity beat them. Wow! How come? Uh, how come we don't go back to the moon? Like, why? It just is. We just sick of it, or is it a cash flow <laughs> thing? It just seems like we should be going there once a year. It's uh, it's definitely a cash flow thing. There's plenty of science left to be done on the moon. Um, and there's lots of people interested in walking on the moon. So it's just a, a, a question of how much people are willing to pay. Hmm. So isn't there some good stuff going on with the moon from, uh, who was it, Japan or China? Wasn't somebody taking some uh, some in-depth views of the moon or some deeper shots with some different type of uh, instruments? Yeah, there have been several interesting recent missions to the moon. There's um, this Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and GRAIL from NASA. GRAIL That's, is a gravity mission that that studies basically the interior of the moon from, from gravity data. And that was yeah, super cool. One, yeah. So that was but pretty then, cool. Yeah. That, that's uh that was pretty neat because gravity lets you kind of see what's going on beneath the surface. Um, but it's, it's sort of difficult to science to explain. I took a crack at it in a blog post, but it's a, <laughs> it's a little on the esoteric side. <laughs> right. Um, the Japanese had a spacecraft called Kaguya that took a really nice topographic map of the moon that's been used now by all the other space agencies. Um, China landed, so China has had now um, four lunar missions, two orbiters, actually three orbiters, and then this lander. And their first ever lander mission on another world, they put the lander down, no problem, deploy a rover instantly. And they're off there, you know, taking photos of their lander from the rover and photos of the rover from the lander. And and I was pretty impressed. I did not expect that thing to work on the first try. Um, and, and it did. There's some really gorgeous color images of the Chinese lander and, and rover on the lunar surface. It'll work on the first try. It just think it'll work for long. <laughs> that is teaching to buy stuff from China. No. Dan just had his own experience experiences yeah. with electronics from China. Well, unfortunately, the rover did have a, a motor controller problem, but the lander has been working now for two years on the surface, which is kind of amazing because the lunar surface environment is is not nice to electronics. The temperature swings are vicious, hmm. and so it's. Uh, it's really hard to design something that'll last over lunar days and lunar nights. Um, and this thing is kept going. Wow. Is there anything planned right now? Like, is there anything in the next decade or so that people is like, is there any people planning to go to the moon anytime soon? As far as I know, there are no current plans to put people on the moon. The uh, most exciting thing planned in the next couple of years is the next um, Chinese lander mission is going to be an autonomous sample return mission, which only the Russians have ever done before. Um, and nobody has done for 40 years. So that'll, that'll be pretty cool. What about Mars One? That's pretty exciting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably not going to happen. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's funny. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So, but, but I've also heard, I mean, somebody was, people are paying a couple hundred grand to fly uh, in orbit on, uh, 
what's his name stuff, right? Uh, Elon. Yeah. Um, in orbit on, on, uh, on a dragon type thing. Yeah, I haven't heard about thing. that. No, maybe maybe um, it's not in orbit then or something. But it, aren't yeah, so there's, I think it's gravity. Zero. The thing is, they take right. it high enough so that oh, you don't okay. have gravity. It's um what they're like. There's spaceship two, um, uh, the Virgin Galactic one. Uh, so that's a suborbital trip. So you go, yeah, you go up to a super high altitude. It's above most of the atmosphere. You see black space. You see stars. You are uh, weightless at the top of the curve. Um, curved as you go up. Uh, into the way up our atmosphere, and then you come back down again. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So that's yeah. suborbital. So right, okay. you have like five minutes, um, you know, above the most of the atmosphere. You are still in the atmosphere, but you're above most of it. So how 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 far away are we from those private organizations going orbital? Then, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't it... know how far we are. It, this it isn't. I don't really follow the industry that closely, right, so it's right. hard for me to say yeah. how close they are. I mean, the next big step is for SpaceX to be able to launch people yeah. um, up to the space station, which would be a very welcome development since right now only Soyuz capsules are capable right, of uh, right. sending people up there. Wow. So it's a bit of a bottleneck with the space station. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we quit fighting with the Russians. <laughs> so so out of all these things in the last couple of years, there's like Pluto, pictures of Pluto and mm-hmm. and new stuff about the moons uh, around, around Saturn and uh Jupiter and Planet Nine and Ceres, the, all these things. Like, what is your, what has got you the most excited? What's your kind of the most surprising thing that you've been finding out over the last little while? You know, I absolutely hate picking favorites, but I will say <laughs> that the Pluto pictures did really surprise me. I did not expect Pluto to be so uh, diverse. I mean, I, I expected it to look interesting, but yeah, I didn't yeah. expect it to look so interesting in so many different ways all over its surface. That was a real surprise. Uh, wasn't there even some evidence of t- tectonic activity? Yeah, I mean, there's these big, peaky, tall mountains. There's what looks like uh, river valleys, although it's probably not liquid. It's probably like glaciers, but still, glaciers on Pluto. Who predicted that? Yeah. I mean, that's that's weird. So, and, and then you guys have also gone close to Ceres recently, right? I know you don't really like to talk about the lights on Ceres because so many people want to ask you that, but <laughs> but you, you have figured out that it's... Um, I think salt domes or something in craters or something like that. Yeah, Ceres has been really interesting. So Ceres is a uh, round world. It's the only dwarf planet in the asteroid belt. Um, we knew already from its density that it was made, that it has a lot of water ice inside it. It's located in the outer part of the asteroid belt where water ice um, was stable during the formation of the solar system. Although it's close enough to the sun that water ice on its surface wouldn't be stable, um, just like on Mars, um, except at the poles. So uh, so it did have these bright splashes on it. And so my instinct is always, well, we know it has ice and we see these really bright spots. So probably that's just recently exposed water ice, like an asteroid oh. slammed into it and, and dug it up and made this bright splash. But um, that's, that's not what Don has found. Don has found that it's not water ice. There's only one spot on the whole uh, world where there is pretty good evidence for exposed water at the surface. And that's this tiny little bright crater near the North Pole. And then um, the rest of it is, like you said, it's salt. Uh, and so it looks like what we're seeing is Ceres would once have had an internal ocean, just like Europa has. Mm-hmm. And as that froze, you know, the briny salt water is is sort of what's left. And you get this concentration of salt um, at some places near the surface and, and salt uh, can, uh, as low density, it sort of domes upward and moves around through rock. And so 
Maybe you have these deposits of salt near the surface and that's what an asteroid punched into and made that bright splash. Um, but you can probably hear that I'm kind of asking questions now because yeah, yeah. it's all still not real sure, <laughs> yeah. not real clear what we're seeing, but it's not water. Right. So there's still. <laughs> so wow, that's fascinating. So there's lots of, lots of stuff going on. What about yes. some of the newer technologies like the light sail or the mm-hmm. dream chaser that are, that are coming yeah. on board pretty soon? Yeah, so the Planetary Society is involved with this light sail project. Our One of our founders, Lou Friedman, has always been uh, fascinated by solar sailing. In fact, he wrote the book on it. Um, and he, originally, when he was at JPL, he was pushing a solar sail mission to uh, Halley's Comet back in 1986 when, when Halley was flying past. And so uh, solar sailing is cool because you don't need to launch propellant for it. You rely on uh, the pressure from from solar photons to accelerate your spacecraft uh, which is great because it's renewable. It's not great because it's not a very strong force. So you need a really big sail in mm-hmm. order to accelerate a spacecraft of any uh, considerable size. Mm-hmm. And so our latest project, this light sail thing that we're working on, is a very small spacecraft. It's a CubeSat. Um, and so that gives it a very low mass, which means that you don't need a gargantuan sail in mm-hmm. order to measure uh, the acceleration. Mm-hmm. And they've they've tested uh, some of it, haven't they? That's right. So we've uh, we've launched one light sail. We've tested the deployment of the sail, but that test was at an altitude that was too close to Earth uh, to be able to test the actual sailing technology. Because you know you, you go up like three hundred kilometers away from Earth, and you are in space, you're orbiting Earth, but there's still enough atmosphere around to exert drag on spacecraft, mm-hmm. and that drag force is stronger than the than uh, sunlight acceleration yeah. force would have been. Yeah. Right, right. But you still needed to test the deployment first. And right. obviously you have to go through some some proper logistics first before you get out there. That's right. So our next, uh, we have Light Sail 2 is getting ready for launch. It'll launch on the second flight of the Falcon Heavy rocket. It's planned for sometime next year. Wow. And there's yeah. lots of different rocket technologies too now, isn't there? I mean, there's, or there's yeah. new ones coming online. You got the Falcon Heavy. What are some of the other ones that you guys are using? Um, well, because we're a CubeSat, we don't really care what kind of rocket it is. We could launch on a teeny one or a big one or whatever, but we're not paying for the main payload. So when you're a CubeSat, you wait around to get a ride um, on somebody <laughs> else's launch that uh, where they have a little mass left over and they offset some of their cost by selling some of their launch capacity to these uh, uh, much smaller spacecraft, these CubeSats. And so we'll launch with a couple of other CubeSats as a secondary payload on um, on somebody else's rocket. And so it just so happened that the somebody else's rocket that we got a ride on turned out to be the Falcon Heavy, which is pretty cool. Nice. So what about um, asteroid mining then? I've heard people talking about that. That's going to be uh, like a reality in a few years. Like people are getting close to to hitting those asteroids pretty... I mean, they've already 3D printed um, asteroid... No, they've, haven't they already printed non-Earth material? They have, so let's see, they've started doing 3D printing in space on uh, the space station. There are a couple of companies that are fairly serious about developing asteroid mining in the future. Um, to me, the problem with asteroid mining is that it is so expensive and difficult to do that the economics only really makes sense if the stuff that you're mining is intended to be used in space rather than returning it to Earth. So at some point in the future, there is going to be an in-space economy and asteroid mining will be like the basis of that economy. You'll be using asteroids, getting raw materials, building 
your ships, your infrastructure, your everything else in space to do things in space. But I, it's really hard to make an economic case for launching a whole bunch of stuff to space to mine some stuff and then have to bring it back to Earth. Yeah, so you know, it's you know, you'd almost be turning an asteroid into a ship in a way, right? Adding propulsion yeah. to it or, or doing some sort of printing technology and turning that into your your home base, kind of. Huh. Yeah. So I mean, I'm excited to see the developments here, and I'm I'm really excited to see uh, future. Uh, technology being developed where you can go to an asteroid and use what you get there to make stuff there at the asteroid. Um, But the kind of idea of, you know, going up and getting um, iridium ore or whatever, you know, platinum group metals or whatever, um, it's just, to me, it's real hard to make an economic case for that, especially because once you start returning it to Earth, you know, that if you are able to return a whole bunch of it, well, it's going to become more common and the price will drop. Yeah. So how do the economics work there? Yeah. So you guys have been getting pretty good funding over over the last last few years. I have a sort of a personal question. If you, if you had unlimited funds, what w- what would you throw throw the money at? Um, truly unlimited. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I buy I buy space missions. So um, the spacecraft that I most want to see right now yeah. is a, a mission to Uranus or Neptune, where uh, it's sort of Cassini like. You study both the planet and its moons and its rings. Um, I like Uranus a lot because uh, it's got uh, a really interesting set of moons to study, as well as being uh, a planet that's the most common size of planet we're finding all over the rest of uh, wherever we're doing these exoplanet searches. Um, Neptune is similar in size to Pluto. I'm sorry, Neptune is similar in size to Uranus, but it's quite a bit farther away, so it takes a lot longer to get there. But it has this really cool moon called Triton that is probably a captured Kuiper Belt object. So you'd get to explore both an ice giant planet and a Kuiper Belt object that's bigger than Pluto with the same mission. So I would maybe we build two spacecraft, identical ones, and we send one to Uranus and one to Neptune. That's wow. that's what I'd do first. Yeah, nice. Huh. So what about planet? What about Planet Nine? These guys that have found the calculations. Is there any news on that recently? That uh, are they just sort of waiting for their theories to be confirmed? Yeah, there's there's no news on that. There are people who are searching. Um, so these are Mike Brown and, and Constantine Batigan. Yeah, they yeah. they um, did a bunch of mathematical modeling based upon uh, the positions of orbits of things that have been discovered to predict where this uh, possible ninth planet may be. But they haven't discovered it. So, um, you know, it's not time to talk about sending missions to it yet because we don't know if it actually exists. So I'd rather see missions if you're going to go out that far. Um, there's a lot of interesting worlds besides Pluto in the Kuiper Belt. There's Eris, which is practically the brightest world in the Kuiper Belt. It's like 100% reflective, Hmm. Um, and it's got a couple of moons. There's Haumea, which is this world that spins so fast, it's stretched out into kind of a cigar shape, and it has a couple of moons. There's Sedna. uh, Hang on a second. (laughs) You're losing me here. These are, what are these then? So these are, these are outside the Kuiper belt. So they're within, they're within our solar system. No, but they're not planets, but they're like, but they have moons still. Yeah. These are all in the Kuiper belt. So they're a lot like Pluto. So Pluto is just one of several uh, biggish worlds that are out there in the Kuiper belt. Um, they're all, um, they're like the size of the moons of Saturn and Uranus. Right. They're all bigger than any of the asteroids. So I think a lot of people make this, mis- if you, people who think about the Kuiper belt at all probably yeah. think of it as being like another asteroid belt, but it's not. The The things that are in the Kuiper belt are big. They're many more of them and they're they're generally larger than the things that are in the asteroid belt. They're a lot more like the the moons of the giant planets. And so, and they're also really diverse. 
when you have Pluto, which it has these bright and dark spots, mm-hmm. you've got bright Eris, you've got dark uh, Maki Maki and uh, 2007 OR10, which doesn't wow. have a name yet, but is also really big. And so there's all these different worlds that would be cool to explore, wow. but they're very far away. So they're like Pluto, but they were never demoted from planet to, from being a planet. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, and it's their discovery that led to um, Pluto being demoted because there are all these right, worlds that right. share a similar similar orbits. Um, and they're, they're, they have a, they're a lot more in family with moons. And, you know, people seem to think that that implies like a value, like they're less interesting because they're like the moons. But right. if you look at the moons of the solar system, yeah. you see how diverse and fascinating. I mean, Europa and Ganymede have oceans and Ganymede has a magnetic field and Titan has an atmosphere and methane lakes and, and uh, Enceladus has these plumes venting out from its South Pole. The moons are awesome. So, you know, the Kuiper Belt objects shouldn't feel bad about being compared to the moons <laughs> because they're awesome and, and uh, just as cool. So how many more are those? Are we are we still finding them or have we sort of done the map? Have we finished the map of, of our solar system yet? We have uh, we have probably found most of the big Kuiper Belt objects that are within or the big objects that are within the Kuiper Belt. Right. The Kuiper Belt goes out to about 50 times Earth's distance from the sun. And then there's a sharp drop off for reasons we still don't understand okay. um, we, that the Kuiper Belt stops. And so we've we found maybe all but one or two might still be hiding of the really big ones. Okay. But there are many more small ones to be found. And and like I said, there's even the small ones are a lot bigger than most of the asteroids. And then beyond that, there's a whole new section of the solar system that we're only beginning to find things in. And so there's there's way more solar system out there that we still haven't discovered things in yet. So where where is that then? That's past out past Pluto then? Or it's out past Pluto, it's out past the Kuiper belt. Okay, uh, and then and then it's is it to the Oort cloud or something like that or is the Oort? It's not all the way to the Oort cloud. The Oort okay. cloud is super far away. Okay. And the Oort cloud, we only know that it's there or theorize that it's there because because of comets. They have orbits that kind of end out at this super distance from the sun, but we've never directly observed the Oort cloud. Um, but in between the Kuiper belt and the Oort cloud, we started finding there's this one world called Sedna that was out there in a weird orbit that wasn't anywhere close to Neptune. And nobody could figure out what this one thing called Sedna was doing out there. And just recently in the last few years, people have started discovering a couple more things that are in orbits like Sedna. And it's actually those discoveries that led to the theory of Planet Nine. Wow, that's fascinating. So the And these things are all in some sort of orbit around the sun still. They're a part of mm-hmm. our solar system, but they're just sort of not... Not really planets, but there's, I mean, geez, lots of discoveries out there. So that, what's that mission that's way out there past Pluto now? Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Cassini? Is that the one? No, no so that's Cassini's New Horizons. Saturn, right? Yeah, New yeah, Horizons, right. So is that one, is that still going out, 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 or is it going to die soon? So it's still going out, um, and it's going to be encountering a much smaller Kuiper Belt object, something about like 30 or 40 kilometers in diameter Okay. Um, in uh New Year's Day 2019. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So that'll be a whole new sort of new information, new discovery. Like what is this? Is that the small, how, how does that size compare to uh, the asteroid that, um, geez, I can't remember all these names. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of names. <laughs> so the one so that, a 30 uh, year... that Europeans got to that. Yeah. It... So uh, 
So Rosetta is actually that's a really good question because um, the uh, the head of the New Horizons mission um, actually drew this comparison exactly. So if you compare Pluto, yeah, to um, uh, comet Churyumov-Gerasimenko, which is the comet that Rosetta is studying, yeah, um, Pluto is um, I want to say uh, a thousand times the diameter. Is okay. That not- uh, I'm not sure if I have my math right now, but anyway, it's a factor. <laughs> I have to go look this up. But if you if you factor it out, the the thing that they're that New Horizons is going to visit is like right in between the size of the comet that oh, okay. Rosetta is visiting yeah. and the size of the um, of Pluto, okay. and so you you get to kind of fill in the middle of these icy worlds from the distant reaches of the solar system. Right, right. Yeah. See, that's kind of the visual. I kind of needed some sort of visual comparison there. So that's that's going to be fascinating. It'll be interesting to see what what that's all about. And then what happens after that? Does it continue on further? Yeah. So New Horizons is on an escape trajectory, just like the Voyagers. It's right. going to keep traveling for forever, for billions of years. It has a radioisotope power source that will only last um, for... Uh, some certain number of years, maybe out to like 2024 20, uh, or something like that until the um, it runs out of, it doesn't have enough power to power its transmitters to talk to Earth anymore. Because um, that's still one of the energy costliest things that we do in space is powering up the radio transmitters. And so once your power supply gets too weak to to be able to talk to Earth, then even though the spacecraft can technically still be alive, right, right. you can't hear from it anymore. So the mission is essentially over. Right. Uh, and so that's where the the pioneers are. Voyagers are good for another maybe five more years. Um, the New Horizons will last a little bit longer than that. But they're all they're all traveling far away from the sun, and they're going to orbit the center of the galaxy for until the end of the universe, or until they happen to run into something. But space is pretty empty, so that the odds of that are actually very low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what about? Um I just thought of it now. This this space elevator I keep hearing about is that something that could be a reality at some point? At some point, yes. Uh, It requires materials that we don't currently have. Uh, But I I read, uh, there's a science fiction book um, by Kim Stanley Robinson called Red Mars that does a really good job of uh, explaining how space elevators work. Um, And so it's it's a conceivable bit of technology, but it requires materials with properties that, that we don't currently have right now. Right. Yeah, it's funny how those scientific science uh, fiction books can sometimes be fairly accurate. I, I read some some Ben Bova and some Orson Scott Card, and like it's just like they do the asteroid mining thing a lot, and it sounds so cool. Like it sounds very. They make it re- very realistic. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good hard science fiction that that uh, they they talk with a lot of scientists and they try to get their facts straight, and they do a real good job. Yeah. So before before we uh, let you go here, I mean, it's been a fascinating conversation and learning tons about that. I really just wanted to get sort of a, an, a full-on update of what's going on, because I'm sure people hear bits and pieces of it, but you're, you're so knowledgeable about everything that's going on. It's just great to to chat with you. But can you tell us a bit about, about Planetary Society and, and what you do there and, and that organization? Sure. So the Planetary Society was founded in 1980 by Carl Sagan, Lou Friedman, and Bruce Murray. Um, at a time when the public interest in space exploration was really high and government interest in spending money on space exploration was really low. (laughs) 
And so we, uh, we're an advocacy organization. We have a big membership, um, more than 40,000 members um, who uh, we advocate for more space research and exploration. We educate the public about what's going on in space exploration. Mm-hmm. And uh, we try to stimulate new technology development like the uh, light sail and like um, we have uh, projects now on uh, deep drill for planetary um, research for landing on Mars and drilling into the surface or drilling into ice. Um, We have uh, technology projects to uh, work on deflecting uh, potentially hazardous asteroids, things like that. So we have a a sort of a a broad array of projects. And we just, in general, we're an international organization. We try to encourage um, worldwide collaboration, participation in in space exploration. Nice, nice. And and you're the senior editor of that. And you also Mm -hmm. participate on the weekly podcast, which I've been listening to. So if people want to hear more about that, uh, they can always check out that podcast as well planetary yeah, they, radio that's right so check us out at planetary.org you can go to planetary.org slash radio for that podcast or to planetary.org slash blog to read uh, my blog entries and i also get lots of guest bloggers um scientists and engineers involved in space exploration to write about what they do um you know what i, I do want to uh, geez i found something else i want to ask you about that i have in my notes here that uh, you just mentioned but in the next few years is the is the near-earth object uh technology and classification and 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 funding and everything is that going to be increasing quite a bit it seems like that's going to be the focus for a bit here as well well nasa seems to be interested in trying to send humans to a near-earth asteroid which i personally think is really cool there there are a lot of people who seem to um who want to go straight to Mars and go back to the moon. And, and I have no problem with doing any of that. I think it's great. But I I, I also think it would be cool to see astro- astronauts floating up close to asteroids, trying to figure out how to work with material from an asteroid surface. Um, but it's sort of hard to know what the future direction of, uh, of NASA's human exploration is going to be at this point. Um, we may have uh, major shifts with the, with the next administration. Um, we've done a really good job of discovering a lot of potentially hazardous near-Earth asteroids. So what I'd really like to see is development in the technology that we need in order to mitigate the threat if right, we happen yeah. to discover one that, that is on a collision course for us. Yeah. And so if we, if we keep vigilant, if we, um, uh, especially if we manage to get a, a telescope that orbits the sun a little closer to the sun than, than Earth does, we could really fill out the, the gaps in our knowledge of the asteroids that are that could potentially um, be hazards to us. And then we can start working on uh, ways to, if we know about them far enough in advance, it doesn't take very much force to deflect an asteroid away from a hazardous path. So that's really the way to go. So that is the, that is the sort of uh, the, 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 the most forward-thinking uh, solution right now is to actually deflect it somehow? Yeah. So the thing, what you really want to do is let's say you discover something that might possibly impact Earth in, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And, yeah. and we should be able to to figure out something that, you know, that it, it might have like what a one in 500 chance or something. So that's kind of scary. So the first thing that you do is you send a little spacecraft to the asteroid that has a radio transponder on it. And that allows you to track it super precisely. And in all oh. likelihood, once you've tracked it much more precisely, you will be able to predict its path with enough certainty to discover that it's not going to impact Earth. So that's the cheapest thing to do is right, to send right. a little spacecraft and learn that you can do nothing and be safe. <laughs> um, but if you send your transponder and you find out, well, yeah, it actually still is a risk. And now that we know its path, we think that there's a one in 20 chance of it hitting us. That's super scary. That's when you want to start talking about the kinds of technologies you can use to deflect it, like 
um, these gravity tug ideas or uh, the Planetary Society has a funky one called Laser Bees um, that you just just do a search on Laser Bees, bees okay. like the bugs, yeah. and uh, you can find out more about that. So there's there's various ways to apply a really tiny force to a spacecraft, I'm sorry, to an asteroid that can nudge it a little bit out of its path. Hmm. So that, because that is, I mean, that's one of the biggest threats really is something yep. at some point that uh, that could end, end everything. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Emily. Um, really, really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll let you know when this thing comes out as well. And, okay. and uh, take care over there. All right. Thank okay. you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, big thanks to Emily for coming on the show, putting up with uh With the antics in Guy America? Yeah. America antics. She's a good sport. Yeah, she, she was Grammatics. great. She was great. Arguing grammatics. Full of knowledge, eh? They, oh, my, I just couldn't even keep up. Yeah. Yes, you know there's 20 spacecraft flying around the solar system right now? Did you ever see that, that map on Twitter? That, with the, that we know? That's not even including the secret space program. Yeah. Or the aliens <laughs> that are coming here to see you when you're meditating. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was fascinating, eh? I, I could see you getting excited. I think that's the most questions you've ever asked. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> No, I mean, don't, aren't you excited about the icy moons and all that? I carry the show half the time. <laughs> you, you're, um, you're, you've got your telescope and you're interested in all this stuff. The telescope's in the dump pile. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, I need a new one. And next one I'm going to invest in is going to be uh, Wi-Fi, so that I can give it a hotspot off my phone and just say, "Show me fucking Saturn." Is that what it does? No way. Is that yeah. what they do now? Yeah. Really. Yeah, I think like fifteen hundred bucks will get you into those. You missed the part. You had to step out there. You missed the part we were talking about. Uh, there's a whole whack of these planets. Like they're not really planets. They're like Pluto, but they're a little bit smaller. And we're going to be out there checking those out soon. So that's uh, that's exciting. Yeah. So what's going on over there, buddy? Uh, reading James's fucking bullshit. Anyway, big thanks to Emily for coming on the show. Come back anytime. Uh, what do we got? I, the upgrade may or may not still be a thing. Yeah, let's just not uh, really talk about this and make this non-time sensitive outro. Okay. Yeah, check out grammarica.ca slash support. Help us stay ad sponsor, affiliate, and bullshit free. Except for grounds bullshit. Um, but you guys like that. Uh, so yeah, check out that support. There's a bunch of different options right now. Ponce is the subscription to beat. Nice. Yeah, twenty seven seventy seven. He had to do two subscriptions. Yeah, I like it. I, I like it too. Ponce is uh, Ponce is a man. Ponce is a man. Um, yeah, uh, helps out your synchro scores too. Uh, spam grab. Send your stories. Sports, Lucid Dreams, Synchros. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't got to rate any Synchros in a while, so send some of that shit over. Um, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. Tell your friends about the show.
edition of Grime American Goodies by the people.